On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla has made the long dormant Model 3 long range all-wheel drive variant available once again, but not everything is exactly the way it was before. Plus, three barn find original roadsters are discovered with zero miles on the odometers. The Model S Plaid finally gets its track package that unlocks its 200 mile per hour top speed and more. What's happening, friends? I'm Ryan McCaffrey here, joined, as always, by Daisy the Boxer to my left. And if you happen to hear any background dog noises in this episode, I apologize. We are dog-sitting for a boxer-owning friend of ours who had to leave town very suddenly on a family emergency, unfortunately. So there are three big dogs here. In fact, our canine house guest is a male boxer, so he's bigger than Daisy and Zelina, there has been a lot of romping around already this afternoon. In any case, uh, there is plenty of fun Tesla stuff to talk about this week, as always. But first, I hope all of you who are kindly backing my efforts with this podcast, kindly supporting the podcast at that $10 a month tier or higher on my Patreon, I hope you all enjoyed this week's lightning round mini episode, which was about a couple of my road trip war stories which was a topic very kindly suggested by Patreon backer Josh Rose. So thank you, Josh, for that. As a reminder, anytime any of you are kind enough to join my Patreon at that $10 ludicrous tier or higher, you will get access to all, now 45, of those lightning round mini episodes, plus obviously all of them that I do every week from here on out. You can find out more about supporting me on Patreon on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Podcast. Well, let's get right into it because there is plenty to get to. Remember when I was just talking about the demand lever that Tesla could pull anytime one of these days? I was just talking about this one or two episodes ago. That demand lever being the return of the Model 3 long-range dual-motor all-wheel drive, which, by the way, is way too long. We need to just... That's how it is on the Tesla Design Studio. We need to shorten that up. It should just be Model 3 long-range. Maybe just, just... The dual-motor can be implied, unless it's the standard range. Anyway... That's neither here nor there. Anyway, the the, uh, the Model 3 long-range dual motor is back. Thank you very much to listener Brandon Flash, whose tweet was the first thing to alert me to this. It is on the design studio now, if you want to take a look at it. It is $47,000 before any potential tax incentives for qualified buyers. Strangely, though... That tax incentive is listed as only being the $3,750 half federal credit rather than the full $7,500 credit, which the performance model has. Also strange here is the listed range for this return of the long-range dual-motor all-wheel drive. It simply says 325-plus miles Instead of what it used to say, which if memory serves, I am going off of memory here, but I believe it was 353. It was definitely 350 something. Anyway, you might think, well, okay, if they're say, stating a different range, 
Is it an LFP battery pack? Which on one level would be pretty sweet because it would mean that you'd have the full 325 plus miles of daily usable range if it's an LFP. However, I don't think that's the case and there are two reasons why I think that. One, the zero to 60 time. This is probably the biggest tell. Now the old zero to 60 time on the long range dual motor was 4.2 seconds. The new listing for the zero to 60 time is still 4.2 seconds. If it was an LFP battery, which we know has a lower energy density, the zero to 60 time would be noticeably higher. For context here, the standard range Model 3's zero to 60 time when it was a nickel-based battery pack a couple years ago was about 5.1 or 5.2 seconds. Again, I admit I'm going off of memory on this, but the LFP base Model 3, standard range Model 3 now, is 5.8 seconds. So there was a definite difference when they switched from the nickel-based battery to the LFP. So that's, that's reason number one. The reason number two, I think this is not a nickel, excuse me, not an LFP-based battery pack, is because of that same lower energy density reason. The larger battery pack for the long range likely wouldn't fit in the car. The LFP packs basically need more space for the same amount of kilowatt hours than a nickel-based pack does. And apparently, what I, my understanding is that the base Model 3's LFP pack of around 55 kilowatt hours takes up the full space, the same amount of space as the 78 or so kilowatt hour pack of the long range and the performance Model 3. Still, LFP or not, I suppose the battery cells for this vehicle must be coming from China and not Giga Nevada in order for it to only qualify for half of that tax credit. Uh, there's one other piece still though, by the way, let's just pause for a second. 47K for a 325 plus mile range Model 3. That's, oh, that's pretty darn impressive. The price of the base Model 3 that my wife test drove last summer and we thought really long and hard about buying one to replace her aging Mini Cooper was $47,000 at that time. So now you, for that same 47, you get a 325 mile range, uh, long range with better performance numbers. And I say that only to point out how quickly we have seen Tesla's prices rise and how quickly we've also seen them fall. Now there's one other piece to this. While the base Model 3 and the performance Model 3 list their availability as May in the design studio if you order right now, so you get one pretty quick, the dual motor long range shows June. Now, yes, that's only a month away, but it is still a difference. Could it be that the Project Highland revamp is coming next month? If you remember back to the original Reuters report on Project Highland, it had said that it was going to arrive in Q3 or Q4. And in fact, it specifically said that Shanghai, Giga Shanghai, would start building them in Q3. June isn't quite Q3, but maybe given the half tax credit here, maybe these long range dual motors are going to be revamped Project Highland Model 3s 
shipped over from Shanghai while the Fremont factory here in California retools for Highland production either later in Q3 or sometime in Q4. Maybe they've just moved their timeline up. If, they, if Tesla needs to goose demand, I mean, unveiling a refresh of the Model 3 would certainly be the best way to do that other than dropping the prices, which they've already been doing. Now, if that were to happen, and obviously this is just my educated speculation right now, I believe it would be the first time we've ever had Shanghai-built cars here in the United States, which is just it's neither here nor there, really. It's just an interesting little Tesla factoid. Needless to say, I am very, very eager to see what happens with this when deliveries begin next month on the return of the long-range dual motor. In related news, a loophole is allowing qualifying buyers to get the full $7,500 tax credit on the base Model 3. But there is a catch. Thank you to Bloomberg for the write-up on this. And they say, fewer than a dozen EVs qualify for the full $7,500 tax credit if purchased by a consumer. But all battery-powered models benefit from it if they're leased, because in that case, the Inflation Reduction Act categorizes them, pardon me, as commercial vehicles. The lease option is an IRA loophole you could drive millions of electric vehicles through. International automakers lobbied for and secured it after fearing they'd be shut out of the IRA tax credits aimed at stimulating the nascent EV market in the U.S. And, quote, leasing allows you to have the credit applied immediately to your monthly payment rather than waiting to get your money back next year when you file your taxes, says Jessica Caldwell, the executive director of Insights for Edmonds. So there you have it. If you've been contemplating a base Model 3 and are maybe looking for something shorter term with a lower payment, both, or some other circumstance where leasing might be an appealing option to you, this is good news. Getting that full $7,500 on the now $40,000, granted again, you're leasing it, you're not, you're not paying the $40K, but that, is, uh, that can make a really potentially affordable situation there on the 272-mile base Model 3 that I have said over and over, I feel is such a good deal. Now, I made the new federal tax credit that's been discussed here the subject of this week's Patreon poll, again, from a very kind listener suggestion. Thank you to Patreon backer and loyal listener Steve Radspinner. So the poll question this week on patreon.com slash Podcast. the poll questions go up usually every Tuesday night, Uh, And again, I remind you that you do not need to be backing me on Patreon in order to vote. So just head on over there every week if you'd like to participate or just see the results, see what's up over there. So the question was, courtesy of Steve, will the new U.S. federal tax credit impact your next Tesla purchase? 150 of you kindly voted. Two-thirds of you said no. The tax credit won't be impacting my next Tesla purchase in any way. 18% took the other option, or the just show me the results uh, option, and I'll read you a couple of those comments here in a second. 12% of you said, yes, I will be upgrading sooner than I had hoped due to the tax credit. And just 3% of you said, yes, it will affect me, it will impact me, but I won't be upgrading as soon as I'd hoped due to the tax credit. 
So a uh, couple quick comments. The Tesla Barbarian out there, uh, he's always a loyal listener, has been for a long time, saying, I ordered the Cybertruck years ago, so it played no role at all, LOL. If I happen to get a few bucks back, that's nice and all, but I'm taking delivery either way. And he adds not one, not two, but three smiley faces on that one. Thank you to the Tesla Barbarian. And uh, the next, the other one I wanted to just read you real quick was from uh, Joeyne and Steve Barrett, who write, we bought a Model Y long range on April 19th of this year. The day the $3,000 price drop took the price down to $49,990. We live in Oregon. The price cut allowed us to qualify for a $2,500 state EV tax rebate, which is base price limited to $50,000 or less. This brought the price to $39,990 after the federal tax credit. That price is lower than our similarly equipped 2020 Model 3 long range by several thousand dollars. We would have bought the Model Y without the tax credit or rebate, but it made it much more affordable. So good stuff there. The residents of Oregon, yeah, I've heard they've they've got a sweet rebate situation going on up there to really help encourage EV adoption. All right, next up this week, speaking of pricing, we're going to stay on this topic. Eagle-eyed Tesla tipster Sawyer Merritt noticed yet another tweak to Tesla pricing and before, you're, before you roll your eyes and go, oh no, here we go again. Did we go up? Did we go down? How much? What are we doing on the roller coaster? In this case, the price changes only affect the Model Y, and the Model Y is getting almost the smallest possible price increase you could really reasonably expect. So it's $250 across the board. The Model Y long range all-wheel drive, excuse me, the now base, the base Model Y that is all-wheel drive anyway. So the standard Model Y all-wheel drive goes to 47,240 up from 46,990. The Model Y long-range all-wheel drive, 50,240, 50, meaning $50,240 from 49,990. Uh, and then the Model Y performance, 54,240 up from 53,990. Well, $250, I can't imagine that's going to make or break anybody's purchasing decision. And perhaps that's what Tesla's counting on here, that customers won't even notice. And as we learned on the recent earnings call, Tesla adjusts their prices all the time. Of course, we've watched that play out as well. But we learned on the earnings call that Tesla watches their sales trends on a daily basis, along with their supplier costs, their sales trends, their supplier cost trends, all that stuff, they are monitoring in real time, operating very reactively with up to the second data. So perhaps the price of lithium inched up a bit or something else in the Model Y supply chain specifically was affected. And the reason I, I mention that is because the Model 3 did not also, which of course the, the lot of parts are still shared between the three and the Y. The Model 3 didn't see this $250 price increase across the board. On a related note here, the price of the seven seat option for the Model Y went down by a more substantial amount than $250 by $1,000 from 4,000 to 3,000. Thank you to Tesla Roddy for pointing that out. That's where I first saw this. So again, Tesla works in mysterious ways. 
Perhaps this is a deliberate choice to try and get more people to opt into the seven-seater, or maybe they had a cost decrease somewhere in the supply chain specific to the seven-seat option, and they're passing that along to customers as a way to, yes, once again, goose more orders for that option. Maybe their supplier is backed up with too many third-row seats that are stacking up. Well, I guess they're their own supplier. Tesla makes their own seats. So maybe Tesla's just got too many darn third row seating situations built up and stacked up in the factory and they need to try and move some of them. So they're moving the price down on that a little bit. But regardless, yet another price adjustment. Some Model S news now. You heard me tease this at the top. Remember when the Model S Plaid was first announced in early 2021, over two years ago now. And what it was, it was advertised with a top speed using the proper wheels and tires of 200 miles per hour. Now it shipped, I believe, uh, I don't know if they've adjusted it up at all. I think they did. But anyway, it's about 162 right now, I think, 162 miles an hour. Well, two years later, Tesla has finally formally announced the Model S Plaid Track Package. It is a $15,000 to $20,000 option. It will be available starting next month. You can get it right now. And the description on the shop.tesla.com page is this. Designed for the ultimate track experience, the Model S Plaid Track Package delivers high-speed stability, maximum cornering force and repeatable stopping power during high performance driving while unlocking a top speed of 200 miles per hour. The track package includes aluminum forged wheels, track ready tires and brake fluid, new carbon silicon carbide rotors and one piece forged calipers with high performance pads. Our rotors feature continuous fiber technology and are constructed in a unique 3D matrix to add strength and manage heat more effectively. For additional durability, a ceramic friction layer covers the entire rotor surface to reduce brake dust, corrosion, and wear while also improving pedal feel for daily driving. And then it lists everything that's in the carbon ceramic kit, everything that's in the wheels and tires, and you are getting... Goodyear Supercar 3R tires on this thing. Uh, and what's now, what's really fun about this, is, for me, as somebody who doesn't have a plaid and couldn't afford this track package anyway, even if I did, probably, you know, 15 to 20K, not cheap. But what I love about this, selfishly, is that the wheels that are part of this Model S plaid track package are 20-inch, Zero G wheels, AKA exactly what's on my car. What's on my Model 3 performance. So other than the fact, of course, they're not exact exact because on the Model S, they're much wider to accommodate the Plaid's much wider tires than my Model 3. But you can see a picture of it on shop.tesla.com. If you want to know what a Model S looks like with the zero G wheels, for me, it is a little weird to see the zero G wheels that I'm used to seeing every day on a Model S because it's just, that's a little, you know, I'm just, oh, I've never seen them on another Tesla. I've seen a few other Model 3s that that, that got them, but, uh, you know, no no other Tesla to date has had them. But I, I think it's pretty cool that I guess 
the zero G wheels have now unofficially become the track package wheel of Tesla. Also, you know, I mentioned those those Goodyear supercar tires. As you would expect, the tires are extreme performance summer tires, and Tesla makes it very clear on the website that I was just reading you the product description from that these tires should not be driven in winter conditions or weather under 40 degrees Fahrenheit. As you'd guess, they're also not likely to last very long. Insane racing tires like this never do. And just for a little context to that, the tread rating on these tires is 100. So that that gives you an idea of how little meat is on these tires. And as listener Kevin Rapp pointed out, they will not be cheap to replace. Kevin kindly sent me the link on Tire Rack. He looked them up. For an entire set, the rears are a little more than the fronts. They're different sizes. Of course, they're staggered. $2,030 for a set of these tires on Tire Rack, and that obviously does not include installation or a road hazard warranty if you wanted to get that as well. But, hey, if you can get some professional driving lessons and then find a safe track to be able to comfortably get your Plaid S up to 200 miles per hour, that would be an incredible thrill. Uh, I don't know about you, I've never been remotely that fast in a car. Now, I know there are police officers listening to this. One of them is a super nice guy. Hello, Officer Greg who I've met in person, we've, we've met up, we've had uh, coffee before, we've had, <laughs> I know he's not going to come get me, but let's just say, yeah, I've, I have hit triple digits, I mean, I guess I could tell you in a very legal way that, uh, well, I guess, yeah, because that's, that is actually the fastest I've ever been in a car, the fastest I've ever gone is about a hundred and, I believe it was 13 miles an hour in my Model 3 performance, at the drag strip, which is, of course, a, a closed sir, closed place, closed track, not a public street. So, yeah, 113 is, is nowhere close to 200 miles an hour. That really would be an insane thrill to get to do that. So if, if any of you out there have that opportunity, your plat owners, you're ordering this, enjoy it. I mean, be, of course, be safe. I know you're going to be safe, but, but that is just really cool that some of you will get to experience that. And really, uh, I want to add too, I'm so glad to see that Tesla is finally fulfilling its two-year-old promise on the Model S Plaid to get that 200 mile per hour top speed. And the Model S Plaid is now officially in supercar territory in pretty much every respect. Well, except for price. But in terms of performance, you know, it's not just the acceleration that's, that's better than supercar level. It's it's had that since day one. But now, when you crack 200, you are in supercar territory. So that is just awesome, awesome stuff. Speaking of awesome, the other story I teased at the top that you've probably been eager to hear about. Here we go. This is the final story for this week. Uh, three original Tesla Roadsters with a donut on the odometer. Zero miles on the odometer have been discovered in China. Thank you to Drive Tesla Canada, who uh, is where I saw this story first reported. And they write, in what could be described as the ultimate barn find for Tesla enthusiasts, three 
brand new original Tesla Roadsters, untouched and forgotten for over a decade, have been discovered in China and are now up for sale. According to Gruber Motor Company, a customer in China purchased three brand new US spec left-hand drive Roadsters from Tesla back in 2010. The cars, one radiant red sport Roadster and two very orange Roadsters, yes, very orange actually is the literal name of that color, uh, one, were, sh- were then shipped back to a dock in China, but were abandoned by the original buyer. Since then, the Roadsters have sat in shipping containers at the port, get this, accruing storage charges, untouched and unopened, with the footwells even still containing the paper covers found in many new cars today. Each car still has unopened boxes in the trunk, with brand new charge cables, and a large box outside the car assumed to be a hardtop with a carrying case. I think that's a pretty dead-on assumption there. The unnamed seller, who has somehow acquired the shipping container and has paid the storage charges, which accumulated into the six figures and is now looking to recoup that money and more by selling the Roadsters, preferably as a collection, but they are also willing to split them up if necessary. If they don't sell by mid-May, the seller will bring them back to the U.S. The owner is accepting bids at this time through Gruber Motor Company. If you're interested or know know someone who is, they can email their bid to ev at gruber.com. So thank you to Drive Tesla Canada. Uh, This is amazing as, I mean, barn finds are definitely a thing in the collector car world. If if you've been in the collector car space or any of the, you know, if, if if you've been in the car, like enthusiast car space before, that is not a new term for you. Uh, For me, I actually remember, there have been DeLorean barn finds that have popped up from time to time. And I remember one of them. In fact, uh, one of them that I got to see and up close, it was uh, one of the, in the DeLorean's case, just as a quick aside here, it was one of the original, very, very, very tiny handful. I'm talking like on, you can count them on one hand, number of factory commissioned right-hand drive DeLoreans. Speaking of right-hand drive, because every DeLorean was built left-hand drive. DeLorean Motor Company didn't last long enough to open, to to build the cars in right-hand drive for other, you know, right-hand drive markets. But there were a few that DeLorean Motor Company had commissioned and had converted, had built in right-hand drive. One of those was a barn find unearthed in the UK back in my DeLorean ownership days, which at this point is a long time ago. I got to see that car at the 20th anniversary DeLorean celebration that I was lucky enough to attend in Ireland back in 2001. That's a story for another day. Back to the Tesla Roadsters. Teslas are so new overall that these are probably maybe the first legitimate barn finds ever in the Tesla world. Even if the barn in this case was a shipping container at a dock in China and, and the fact is, not one, but three of them? Three? How insanely cool is this for Tesla history, right? This is Tesla history now we're talking about. Now, uh, a num- we've seen, you know, roadsters have been lost over the years. These, you know, these, they get into accidents. There have been things that have happened. This might be the first time that we've ever added 
three original roadsters back onto the list of surviving cars. The first time that, that we've ever plussed in a few cars. Now, I would suspect the batteries are completely toast, but presumably these could be brought back to life as brand new cars with a new, you know, they could even upgrade with the Roadster 3.0 battery pack, which is a, I believe, $30,000 option. So that may impact the value of these three cars, but I would imagine that even that 30K battery replacement cost would be well more than offset by the fact that these cars have effectively spent the past 13 years in bubble wrap. Well, my personal opinion, I guess I'll phrase it this way. If I had the money to buy these, I would restore them to full functionality, but not drive them. I would not put any miles on them. I would preserve them as quote unquote brand new roadsters because those, they don't exist. There aren't any. This, these are the only zero miles roadsters in the world. But now that's just me. Whoever, I can't afford to buy them, so what does it matter what I think? Whoever buys one or more of them may decide to get them back on the road and just go ahead and enjoy them. And hey, no judgment, right? It's your money. I'm normally a guy who, in fact, likes to see special cars get driven. With my DeLorean, I drove it a lot. I did not stare at it in my garage. But in this case, with no miles on them, I would personally make an exception to that. I, and I would feel the same way about a zero miles DeLorean. I'd, I'd preserve that too. And then I'd just buy another DeLorean with miles on it to take out and drive regularly. Anyway, I wanted to learn more about these cars. So making his return to ride the lightning right now is Pete Gruber, the CEO of Gruber Motors in Phoenix, Arizona, who is facilitating the sale of these three cars. You may remember Gruber, one of the very few shops in the entire world dedicated to keeping the original Roadsters on the road, servicing them, taking care of them. Pete was first interviewed here on episode 350, so check that out if you missed it. But for now, here's Pete. Pete, welcome back to Ride the Lightning. Well, thank you for having me. It is uh, great to have you back, especially under, this is such a f- unexpected thing. I don't I mean, certainly for me, and I want to get your perspective these three barn finds, effectively, the shipping container yeah. in China, three basically sealed, bubble-wrapped original roadsters. Uh, how did you first find out about this? Well, you know, first of all, I'm a car guy. And um, barn finds, of course, are one of the most exciting things in the ice world, you know. Uh, when you see that 1982 Lamborghini Countach 5000 that's covered under a tarp or something, it's always exciting, you know. Um, how we found these is... We have a Tesla Roadster matchmaking site on our website that we started a couple of years ago. And it's a free service that allows sellers and buyers to get together. We're basically a dating service. Yeah. We unite the two and then we get out of the way. And um, we've had such success with that that today uh, it looks like we sell more Roadsters than anyone else on the planet by just simply offering this free service. So... This was a customer that um, uh, that came along, like a lot of them do, and said, you know, I've got some Roadster or I've got a Roadster for sale. He says, I have three of them. And when I saw zero miles, I thought, what? <laughs> how's, that, how's that possible, right? Well, um, that's how it all started. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So uh, 2010, are they, they're, they're 2010s, I believe I read. Is that correct? 
Exactly. So the story that we got was that in 2010, a buyer in China bought three of them. Uh, Tesla, of course, put them in sea containers, and then they shipped them to a port in China. And for some reason, we don't have that part of the story yet, the original buyer abandoned them. They sat there until December of 2020, and um, they opened them up and realized there are some brand new cars sitting inside here. A second buyer now got involved, and they had accrued some massive uh, storage charges. Yeah. You know, over 10 years, $9 a day times three for three cars. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they had to relieve that. Yeah. And the most current um, uh, burning need at this point is the freight company wants their sea containers back. Right. So they're no longer willing to store these roadsters. And they came to us and said, can you help us sell three unused, brand new zero mile roadsters? So the are the are the I don't know if you're giving the VINs out publicly. I'm not looking for specifics, but are they maybe around they're 2010. That's like basically the middle of Roadster production. Are they somewhere in like the 1200s kind of VIN range? The actually, Roadster the Vins, 2.0s. Yeah, um, the VINs are actually posted on our website in the um, in the Roadsters for Sale section. Yeah, uh, from the um, at the top of my head, I think it's 1107, 1120, and 1140 or something okay, like that. Yeah. So they are 2.5 Roadsters, which oh, really? is also important. Okay. Yes, you know, you get the 1.5s, 2.0s, and then the uh, 2.5s. Do you find that the 2.5s are any more desirable than than the other two versions, or or vice versa? It depends. Okay. The the um uh, the collector is going to look for the early roadsters, signature yeah. roadsters, for yeah. example, which is all you know. Those are all 1.5s. Right. The um uh, the roadster potential roadster owner interested in driving the car and appearance and look and all of that is going to be interested in the 2.5 because the yeah. interior is a little bit nicer. It's got yeah. a doubled in uh, you know receiver and uh, the front clip uh, has some more design elements that are much more desired. So ha has anything in your long experience, your long history with the original Tesla Roadster, has anything like this ever happened before? Is, have there ever, has there ever been another quote unquote barn find? There has never been. And this is the first barn find in the EV world. Wow. That's another reason that we were so excited because we're making history right now. Um, you know, the EVs haven't been around long enough to actually uh, be eligible for creating barn finds. I know that you, you know, you, you do keep track as best you can of the existing, you know, the, the remaining roadsters and how many are left and how mm -hmm. they're all doing. And of course, you're in the business of caring for them. Could there be more out there? Are there other unaccounted roadsters, unaccounted for roadsters out there that, that could, could there be more zero mile roadsters hiding somewhere? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I just uh, before this um, this uh, podcast have an email that I have not yet responded to. And it looks like we have a roadster that has eight miles on the odometer. Wow. It is also bricked and it is somewhere at this point. And I'm going to make that call right after this podcast. This morning, I would have said, no, th this is it. I can't imagine that there are any others because our census program on our website indicates that there are only about 2,000 roadsters left in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of the 2,500 or so made, right? Right, 2,412 yeah. to be exact, yes. There it is, yeah, 2,412. So you mentioned, uh, I'm glad you mentioned bricked because that, that was certainly the next obvious question. There's 
these, these three cars are absolutely dead, right? For the, they're going to need some, some work. They're going to need new battery packs. What, what will it take to get these three roadsters uh, roadworthy again? There is an interesting, intriguing uh, concept here, which is that if Tesla was responsible and pulled a service plug on these three brand new roadsters, recognizing that they were going to be in transport, unable to be charged for some period of time, it is possible that a 13-year-old battery pack with the service plug pulled, in other words, no drain at all on the battery, could still be usable. But we don't know that because nothing like this has ever happened. The closest that we have to having any sort of empirical data that tells us whether this is possible was a roadster that we had three, four years ago. It was a collision damage car. It came in with a good battery. We pulled the service plug. We let it sit outside through a summer in Phoenix and found that the battery was quite solid within a year and four months or something like that. Mm. This morning on a podcast we did with a German roadster repair shop, he says, I had a roadster with a service plug pulled that sat for six years and the battery was still good. Wow. So we are um, anxiously anticipating there's a possibility that these three roadsters may have good batteries. I mean, that would certainly be kind of a minor miracle if that that were the case. Now, uh, I know you're just... You're playing matchmaker here. You're just trying to, you know, you're in the business of just trying to help these roadsters be alive and and be on the road and be appreciated. Sure. If we assume that the batteries are good, uh, mm-hmm. so I know that's and that's a that's a big assumption right now. What do you think these three cars are worth, given that they have zero miles on them? Well, um, in the world of collectibles, it's much simpler in other categories. Like, for example, if you need a comp value for the house in your neighborhood, you just simply look to what your neighbor sold his house five months ago, right? With cars like this, nothing like this has ever surfaced. The closest we have is a year ago in February, VIN number 13, very low VIN, with 894 miles sold on our on the Roadster matchmaking site yeah. for $295,000. That wow. broke all the records. Prior to that, one of our collector customers bought one off of an auction with 1,300 miles for $212,000. So um, a car with zero miles, brand new, never driven, who knows? We, we, we aren't sure. And certainly, if the, if the batteries are bricked, that's going to impact the sale price of them, clearly, to, to some degree. But they're... What you're suggesting is is certainly not a surprise that one way or the other, uh, good battery or no, these these cars are three of a kind and are as such going to be probably valued according. I mean, anything's it does it only depends on the buyer, right? I know that it's it's what somebody's yeah. willing to pay, but but these could be the most financially valuable roadsters on the planet, is what you're saying. Exactly, and you know, there's another consideration here, Ryan. Um, a car like this. The question is, should someone buy this, put it on the road if it needs a battery or if if it can be recovered, and then start putting miles on it? That was my very next question for you. I am eager to hear your opinion on this. Okay. Well, I have a very strong opinion. Um, Being a roadster, um, uh, you know, um, aficionado, um, anybody that wants a roadster to drive should go to our matchmaking site and buy one that's got some miles on it. 
First of all, these zero-mile roadsters aren't going to sell for the current market price for a functioning roadster. So if you buy a car for hundreds of thousands of dollars, does it really make any sense to start putting miles on it and watch that value begin to erode as it becomes a standard daily driver roadster? I agree with you, but if you've got that kind of money, yeah. you might just go for it for the and start driving the car just for the thrill of being able to say, I, I bought a zero miles roadster in 2023 and I'm driving it as a brand new car. Sure. But I'm completely with you, by the way. <laughs> but those are the guys that worry me. You know, again, being um, uh, very much into roadsters, my personal feeling is that these cars should not be split up, first of all. Yeah. It's kind of like adopting children. You don't separate brother and sister. Sure. These are very unique. Secondly, they should be on display somewhere to be enjoyed. And the best bet for that would be Elon Musk or Tesla putting them the into the front lobby of yep. one of their major gigafactories or yep. maybe one in each of them as a display item. And I'll give you a reason for that. There's a roadster in Germany that uh, traveled the world in 2012. It went all the way around the world and it became famous. I think it even went into Guinness. It ended up going back to Germany and the owner was asked by a museum in Munich whether they could display this car. He gave it to him for a year. And because hundreds of thousands of visitors came to see this car, they asked for another six month extension, which he gave them. They ended up bricking the car, and it's in our shop right now, getting a battery because they didn't know how to charge it. The second team wasn't as astute as the first team. But my point there being is these roadsters, um, you know, if they're pedigreed, have enormous um, interest. And um, it is the car that started the EV revolution. It wasn't the EV one, which was pulled, you know, in the last century. Right. And it really is the car that started Tesla. So both of those things make it, in my mind, very valuable and iconic. I'm so glad you said keeping them together and displaying them because I, first of all, I, I have so with you, like, you know, I, I came from before Tesla, uh, my dream car that I was lucky enough to own for a long time. I had a DeLorean. Now there are way more DeLoreans than, than Tesla Roadsters. There are about 9,000 DeLoreans versus 2,412 Tesla Roadsters, but I'm the same. And every now and again, there's been a barn find in the DeLorean space. And and I'm the same way. Like I, you know, at this point, after in the DeLorean's case, 40 years, you want to preserve that car as is. So I'm completely with you that that they should stay as zero miles cars. Of course, you know, anybody that pays the money is welcome to do what they want with them. But yeah, I'm I'm also with you on on displaying them uh, as 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 sort of time capsule pieces, because uh I've I've long advocated for I I would love to see Tesla themselves open an EV museum. Yes. To to really showcase the history of the electric car. Now, currently they've partnered with the Peterson. I don't know if you've had a chance to get over there yet, Pete, and see. Oh, we the, were there. Yeah, we yeah, were there during the opening. It, yeah, it's very a tremendous, so. yeah, as as I'm sure you'd agree, a tremendous uh exhibit. But once that exhibit ends in October, those cars are gonna all go back into those beautiful historic cars like the original Model S prototype and Elon's Roadster number one and, T and those kinds of things. Yeah, the T0 are going to go back and, and never be seen again, probably. So yeah, I'm, I'm so with you. Um, so I guess the last question I have for you, Pete, yeah. is how can someone in my audience, because obviously you're, you're talking to a bunch of Tesla owners and enthusiasts right now on this podcast, 
if uh, if somebody's interested in buying the cars, how do they do that? And is there any sort of like time limit? I know it's not an auction, but but how can yeah. how can any interested parties go about uh, trying to to find out more about buying these cars? They would go to our website, GruberMotors.com. There is a tab that says Roadsters for Sale. And at the very top will be these three cars at this point. And uh, if they email us their bid at evgruber.com, we will post that. And everybody asks, well, is there an expiration date? Unlike auction houses where there's an expiration, our listings run until sold. And when the seller decides that they've reached a level that they're comfortable with, they will begin to reach out to the parties that are at that range. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> uh, Everything good in the shop otherwise, Pete? Everything operating smoothly? You get still plenty of roadsters in and out? I know you, you've been working on some of the older Model S's as well these days. We, we probably get on average one roadster every couple of days or so. There's one wow. coming in this afternoon, actually. Oh, no, two of them. Sorry. And, uh, you know, the great part is, is we're in partnership with Tesla. They, uh, they have conceded, I believe, that there are two types of Tesla Roadster service. There's the low-tech auto version, which is done at the service centers. And then there's the deep dive electronics type repair that we're able to do. So we're really in partnership with them these days, and uh, we're enjoying it. It's, it's a great company to be partnered with. Uh, Pete, thanks so much for taking the time, because like you, I'm, I'm really excited about these, these three cars that have popped up. And and I, I share your feelings all the way. I hope they're able to stay together. I hope they remain zero miles. And, and I, I hope those batteries are still good. But I know if they're not, that the buyers will certainly uh, look to you to help help rectify it and at least, you know, keep them zero miles, but make sure but they'll be fully functioning working cars. Well, if they don't sell, Ryan, there's probably another podcast here because when they arrive at our shop, it's going to be exciting to actually determine and do a technical review. Oh, yes. Batteries are still good. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that. Pete Gruber, CEO of Gruber Motors in Phoenix, Arizona. Pete, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. Before I get to your phone calls and the Ride the Lightning hotline, I wanted to mention that this week's Ride the Lightning is brought to you by my old friends at Accelerate Auto who offer the excellent X-Care extended warranty coverage for your Tesla. Now you might be thinking, well, why do I need that now that Tesla is offering their own extended warranty? I am glad you asked. For starters, Tesla's policy offers no flexibility. It is a fixed two-year, 25,000-mile coverage plan. X-Care offers up to 10 years and up to 125,000 miles after your factory warranty is up. Xcare can also be purchased for any Tesla, no matter where you bought it. Tesla's plan is only offered to customers who bought their cars new from Tesla. And you can only opt into Tesla's warranty before your car hits 50,000 miles. Xcare plans can be purchased anywhere up to 125,000 miles. Finally, while both Tesla and Xcare have $100 deductibles and 24-7 roadside assistance, Xcare also covers rental reimbursement and trip interruption coverage, which Tesla does not. And Xcare covers 
everything that Tesla's extended warranty does. So check them out and see which plan is right for you. Go to accelerateauto.com slash xcare. That's X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E-A-U-T-O dot com slash X-C-A-R-E. And don't forget to use the discount code LIGHTNING for $100 off of your policy purchase. Although I am told, except in Florida, weirdly. Unfortunately, it is apparently a state law that states they cannot give discounts or price warranties differently for different people. So apologies to my Florida listeners, but for everybody else, that $100 off code is lightning. All right, time for the Ride the Lightning hotline. If you've got a question, comment, or discussion topic for the podcast, please call in. I would love to hear from you. There are two easy ways to do that call. You can either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question, please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many calls each week as possible, and then email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can take that same 90-second or less call and just call in and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. The toll-free number you can dial anytime is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they are special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. First up this week is Fred from Plymouth, Minnesota. Hi, Ryan. This is Fred from Plymouth, Minnesota. Um, Say, I want to give a special thanks to your wife and daughter for allowing you all the time to put out this broadcast. We really appreciate it. I have a quick question. I've kind of seen notes that the 4680 cells in the current Model Y may be software restricted to 85 to 90%. Um, And if this is true, that would mean that you could charge them to 100% all the time. That being said, all of a sudden the range seems very reasonable. But I haven't been able to verify this with any Tesla source. I was wondering if you could check into that. Thanks again, Ryan, and thanks for again for the show. Fred, thank you for the kind words. I will absolutely pass them along to my wife and daughter. You know, they're really both very supportive. I mean, my wife in particular knows how much I enjoy doing this and that I do the best I can to not let it interfere with either our family life or my day job, both of which are also extremely important to me. It's why I don't do video on this this podcast, actually, because I get asked that from time. You should do video, do YouTube. I just don't have the time. If I did, then the, if I did do video, the podcast would, at that point, cause one or both of those other two parts of my life to suffer. So I've been fortunate to find a good balance between Ride the Lightning, IGN, and my family time. And it's always a delicate balance, but I'm doing my best so that all three are the best versions of themselves that they can be. Anyway, to your question, I too have seen this theory or a variation of it out there in the community. And while I can't definitively tell you that it's true or false, I strongly, strongly doubt that it's true. My reason for that is that Tesla's MO is efficiency, right? 
not just in the cars and making them as efficient as possible for range, but in manufacturing them as efficiently as possible too. Tesla is not one to waste anything. And with the 4680 battery cell supplies being limited to this point, and the minerals that go into the packs not being overly abundant either, not that there's a shortage, but there is a cost to mining them, it just doesn't make sense to me that Tesla would hide additional capacity in cars that they're selling for less money. Yes, it is true that they've done this before. The Model S 40s that were software locked 60s, the Model X 60Ds that were software locked 75s, but that was before Tesla got into high volume production. The stakes are higher now, and I just don't see them doing this today. If it somehow turns out that they are though, then hey, I will buy you a beer if I ever visit Minnesota, Fred. Thank you so much for calling in. Next up is Robert from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Hey Ryan, this is Robert from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. First, a shout out to Abstract Ocean. I just ordered the auto lift kit for the Model S parcel shelf. Try saying that. Uh, I had a Ford probe hatchback that came from the factory with an auto lift for the shelf, and I've always missed that. I manually put up the half shelf to get at something and then I forget to put it down and when I'm driving I look out the back window and instead see uh, the shelf divider. Anyway, uh, the reason I'm calling is really about uh, parking garages that reject Teslas. Uh, I used to park in one in Philly that uh, started rejecting me and uh, I was told it was because that the cars can be disabled remotely via the app and in valet garages where they park the cars in tight, they need to move one car to get access to another. And if the car is disabled, they can't get into it and move it. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, now, I have an old Model S with a key fob, so that would not be a problem with my car. But they don't distinguish. They just uh, have banned all Teslas. Uh, so that apparently is the reason. I don't have a Model 3 or one of the newer cars, so I don't know how that works with, uh, without the key fob. But that's what I was told. Thank you, Robert. I wonder if by remote disabled, they were actually talking about pin to drive because I could see that causing a big headache for parking garage attendants. When that feature was first rolled out to the fleet, there was actually an incident in our parking garage at the time and not with me where a Tesla owner left his car for the parking attendant to park, which was a routine thing. The guy, the owner of the car went up the elevator to his office and then once the attendant got in a couple minutes later after sorting somebody else out, after the guy was gone, the car couldn't move until the guy could be found again upstairs to give the parking attendant the pin. Anyway, I still think it's not cool to turn Tesla owners away from parking garages. I'm not saying that the parking attendants don't have valid concerns in terms of getting their jobs done in a smooth and easy way, but those concerns, I think, at least with Teslas, can be easily overcome. And hey, I'm glad to hear that you were happy with your Abstract Ocean purchase, by the way. When I mention them at the end of the show, I'm not kidding when I say that they've got a ton of great products for each car. Cheers, Robert. Thanks so much. Dwight from Hayward is up next. Hello, Ryan. This is Dwight in Hayward. Um, I have a Model S 2016. I purchased... Uh, self-driving at the time uh, I purchased the car and 
at that time, you know, it, full self-driving was a, a dream for the future. And, and now we're finally at the point where it seems to be uh, available to most uh, people who, who want to get it. Uh, for some reason, I'm having trouble getting Tesla to upgrade my vehicle so that I can get the uh, uh, full self-driving. I was wondering if you could recommend who I should contact uh, at Tesla. Or how, how would I upgrade upgrade this concern beyond the uh, the service department? Because they seem to just say, well, until Tesla contacts you, there's nothing we can do. And I think at this time I've been very patient. It's uh, been like seven years. And uh, I would like to... Uh, get the full self-driving data so I can at least experiment with it and, and start using it and provide data for Tesla. So if you get it, if you can help out uh, in any way uh, how, how you can raise concerns to Tesla beyond the service department, I would appreciate it. Again, uh, my name is Dwight, and I'm in Hayward, California, and I look for a response. Uh, Thank you in advance. Bye-bye. Dwight, I wish I could be more helpful and give you a definitive solution to your valid concern here. However, I do at least have two suggestions, at least one of which will hopefully help get this escalated for you within Tesla. But first, here's one thing I have to mention up front. So you mentioned that your X is a 2016. If it's got Autopilot Hardware 1 on it, and you can tell if that's the one you have by whether or not you have the repeater cameras on the fenders and the B-pillar cameras between your front and rear doors, then unfortunately there's not going to be anything Tesla can do as hardware one is simply not upgradable to what you need for the full self-driving beta. The switch from hardware one to hardware two happened around October of 2016. So the first thing is to check on that and see which you know, where your Model X, Model X falls. But let's say you do have hardware too, and I hope you do, then here are my two suggestions. First, email fsdbeta at tesla.com and perhaps somebody will route you to an internal person who can help. Now, that email account, the fsdbeta at tesla.com account, isn't known for responding, just to set your expectations, but as I said, they might route you along to someone else who will get back to you. And second, I would suggest going to your nearest Tesla service center or showroom in person and asking to speak with the manager, at which point you can explain your situation and hopefully they can escalate it internally. Good luck, Dwight. Thank you for your call. Uh, next up here is Dax from Idaho. Hey, Ryan. This is Dax Mickelson from Idaho. And I'm uh, on my I guess weekly full self-driving test on Sunday where I go and listen to your podcast. I try and find new and interesting places to go and listen to you as I go. Um, I'm calling in because I have it's really one question, but it's got two parts. I have a suggestion for Tesla and improvement. Um, I use Bluetooth in the car to listen to your podcast, but the buttons in the screen are really, really small. Now, mine's a 2018, so it's a vertical uh, instead of a horizontal screen. 
but the you know the, the play, the pause, the forward and back buttons are really small on the screen, but they have huge amounts of real estate. They can make those buttons probably three times larger than they are, and it would be a lot easier when you glance down and you want to click on them. Or if you have a passenger, the passenger can do the same. So I, the, the, the the actual question for me is, how do I submit that, or how do I you know let them know about this? Then uh, my the second part of that question is, is that the only way I could afford this car was as a branded title, uh, and so I can't use the supercharger network. Now, my understanding is, is a lot of the other uh, branded title cars, models, have a process they can go through, but the X doesn't have that yet. And I, again, want to know how I can converse with Tesla to find out, you know, when, where, how, why I can make that happen. Other than other than that one detail, which I honestly don't need the supercharger network, but it does kind of, you know, hold me in to where I live, um, it would be really wonderful to be able to, uh, you know, venture out and be able to charge when I'm on my, when I'm on the road. Anyway, great podcast. Thanks. Bye. Dax, thanks for calling in. The subject of communicating with Tesla comes up every so often here in the Ride the Lightning Hotline, and unfortunately, every time it does. I can't say any meaningful progress has been made in that area in terms of making that easier. Now, for the most part, I did talk recently about how I love that new voice feedback feature when you disengage the FSD beta. I love that. That's a great way of communicating. Anyway, for feature suggestions, I used to say tweet at Elon, which I acknowledged was not a great answer back then. But if he actually saw it, then it could actually work. There were plenty of documented cases of that. Nowadays, though, he responds to Tesla-related tweets so infrequently that I can't even recommend that inefficient method, pardon me. Honestly, your best bet is to probably do what you did. Call into a Tesla podcast that maybe the right person at Tesla hears, or go post on a popular Tesla message board like TMC, the Tesla Motors Club, or on the Tesla Motors subreddit. There's also, I will say more constructively, the engage.tesla.com owners club platform. But I do know for a fact on that, just to, I don't want to be too negative here, but it's just like, I got to be honest, the guy who was heading all of that up, the engage.tesla.com stuff, He's not there anymore. So I just, I honestly don't know if anyone else at Tesla is monitoring the engage.tesla.com platform anymore. Uh, as for the supercharging issue, you can try the customer support web form over at tesla.com support. Good luck to you. Uh, final call this week that I've got time for is Steve from Columbus, Ohio, uh, calling in uh, in regards, uh, response to the proposed EV tax that came up with regard to Texas. Go ahead, Steve. Good day, Ryan. Great show. Long-time listener. I'm glad you have this podcast. Uh, this is Steve from Ohio, Columbus, Ohio specifically, the state capital, and Tesla owners throughout the state pay $200 a year to register their cars um, for the roadway. Uh, yes, it is a ripoff. I think it's just a way to subsidize the. But that's just me. Uh, you're doing a great work here, but uh, Texas is just following suit in Ohio for having an extreme cost to register your electric vehicle. Have a good day. 
Steve, thank you for reminding me about this. I think maybe I covered the Ohio $200 thing on on this podcast when it first happened. At least I hope I did. Regardless, it's horrible in Ohio too. Fair's fair, but $200 per year is not fair. Certainly in my humble opinion. Maybe the next governor will feel differently about it, whomever that person ends up being. Anyway, Steve, I appreciate your call. Thank you for that. Thank you to everybody that kindly took the time to call in. I will get to more phone calls on next week's podcast, so feel free to keep them coming. I gave you the call-in instructions earlier in the podcast. But I'm not done yet. Stick with me. I've got a bit more Ride the Lightning coming up for you right after this. Hi, this is Franz von Holzhausen, and you're listening to Ride the Lightning with Ryan McCaffrey, the Tesla unofficial podcast. Well, as for what's going on with me, besides being in a, uh, a giant dog pile here, thankfully all three of them are around me now, and they're all laying down and chilled out. Hopefully it will stay that way through the end of the podcast. The big news for me this week with my Tesla is that it's paid off. I did it. The last car payment was made at the beginning of this week. I had paid 20 extra dollars every month in order to round it up to a more round number. And over the course of the term of the loan, it ended up meaning that I paid it off almost two months early. One full month early, and then this last payment was like $45. So it was practically two months early. Feels really good. It's going to be really nice to not have a car payment for a while. Uh, so yay, that was a, feels like a nice accomplishment, nice financial accomplishment as, as an adult. <laughs> the entertainment recommendation I have for you this week is a video game, and it is Star Wars Jedi Survivor for Xbox Series X, Series S, PlayStation 5, and PC. It is our first next-gen Star Wars game, and it is fantastic. I am knee-deep in it now. I love it. I love the first one. This one is even better. I definitely recommend it. Check it out if you've got one of those platforms. It is a phenomenal Star Wars game. Great stuff from the developer, Respawn Entertainment, who has a tremendous track record that this game adds on to. How about a pro tip of the week? Jesse from Winnipeg is next with that. Hi, Ryan. This is Jesse from Winnipeg, Canada, uh, calling in with a pro tip. I've had my Model Y for about a year now and love it. Um, one thing that had been bothering me was every time I would get in the car and instinctively push on the brake pedal and the car would start, if I didn't get my seatbelt done up fast enough, it would give those annoying chimes. Uh, what I've learned now is that if I take my full body weight off of the seat, uh, for example, by just lifting up with my legs, that will stop or prevent those chimes from happening. So I know it's a very minor inconvenience, but I thought other uh, owners might like to know it. Uh, thanks for doing the podcast every week. I always enjoy it and keep up the good work. Thank you, Jesse. Well, there is no pro tip that's too big or too small for this segment, because guess what? They're all useful to someone. Little things matter too, and I trust that you'll help some people out who've been bothered by it. Uh, with this just like you had been. I appreciate you calling in to share, and if anybody else out there has a good pro tip of the week that you'd like to share with me and your fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, you can call in with that the same way that you call in with the regular Ride the Lightning hotline calls. All right, before I get out of here, let me mention some friends of Ride the Lightning that can hopefully 
be of use to you. I will start with abstractocean.com. They make so many great aftermarket Tesla accessories. Just go over there, abstractocean.com. Click on whichever Tesla you own. Take a look at everything that's there for your car. Whatever you like, throw it into your online shopping cart. And then when you get to checkout, use the coupon code RTL podcast at checkout to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTL podcast, all one word, no spaces. Meanwhile, get your snap plate for your Model 3, Model Y, Model X, or Model S at everyamp.com slash RTL. That is the front license plate bracket that snaps on and off in seconds, but when it's on, it is on there securely. It will not get in the way of anything at the front of the car. And if you want to remove it for either cleaning, detailing your car, for a car show, cars and coffee, that kind of thing, you can take it off and it's not going to leave anything behind. No unsightly anything left behind. I definitely recommend this over the uh, automotive adhesive tape-based front license plate bracket that Tesla gives you with your car. So again, get yours at everyamp.com slash RTL. Budgetsafesolar.com. If you are in the mood for some solar and, you know, you own a Tesla or you're interested in Tesla, so odds are solar's probably on your wish list as well. You're going to go to Tesla Solar and check them out. And if it doesn't work out with them for whatever reason, check out BudgetSafeSolar.com. That's what I did. It worked out great for me. Uh, They are now installing battery backup systems along with their solar system. So they can give you the whole kit and caboodle, the whole package. So for your home, for your business, whatever the case may be, go to BudgetSafeSolar.com. They will draw up a system for you. And if you do proceed, please use the, the referral code RTL. Immaculate Reflections is the professional detailer that I use for my car, which I've named the Spirit of Adventure after my favorite Pixar movie, Up, that is now paid off. Woohoo! <laughs> anyway, oh, did I say that already? Uh, just It feels so good. Anyway, Immaculate Reflections will take great care of your car if you decide to bring it to them. If you're in or going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, You can reach out via the website, which is irdetailing.com. And there is a discount waiting for Ride the Lightning listeners. So if you're going to have anything done, whether it's paint correction, paint protection film on some or all of the car, and or ceramic coating, just mention when you reach out and set this up, hey, I'm a Ride the Lightning listener. May I please have the Ride the Lightning discount? And you'll be told, yes, no problem. Meanwhile puretesla.com slash RTL. That is your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode setups. The 128 gigabyte kit is just $49 shipped free anywhere in the US. 69 bucks if you want to step up to the 256 gigabyte kit. It is a micro SD based solution that is going to better endure the constant wear and tear that the dash cam and sentry mode require. They also sell a nice wireless game controller kit, if that is of interest to you as well. You can get all of it from puretesla.com slash RTL. I mentioned my Patreon at the top of the podcast. That is the way you can voluntarily choose to support the podcast. I'm here every single week. I've got the receipts to prove it. That podcast every single week is free and it will always be free, but I would humbly appreciate your support if at some point you feel willing and able to give it 
because a lot of time and a lot of effort, energy, research, love and enthusiasm goes into this thing. And I do offer some rewards. I try to say thank you for the different tiers that you can support at. So the just basic $5 a month tier, if you do that, first of all, A, thank you. Second of all, you'll get early access to each week's episode. The $10 a month tier that I mentioned at the top, that'll get you the early access to each week's episode and that entire catalog of those weekly lightning round bonus mini episodes. So you can check all of that out, everything about my Patreon page. It's all there, patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or both, same handle, either way, DMC underscore Ryan. My email address, if you'd like to reach out via email for any reason, is teslapodcast at gmail.com. And finally, I want to say hello and thank you to the upper tier backers of the Patreon, the extra generous folks at the now grandfathered in plaid level, the maximum plaid level, and the roadster in space tier. Now the maximum plaid, we've got a our monthly Zoom hangout tomorrow as I'm recording this. So it's happening this weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and I want to start though with the roadster in space tier backers this time because there is a new one, a new very generous person, the newest roadster in space tier backer, Chase Lancaster. Thank you so much, Chase. And a big thank you as well to the other Roadster in Space Tier backers. They are Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacovetto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, Carol Weston, and Robert from near Philly. Next are the Maximum Plaid backers. Thank you very much to Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Watley, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaro, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Corey O'Donnell, Aaron, John Cody, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, HaloBengals.com, Chris Pratt, Ken Epstein, Doug Carey, James Gregory, Adam Lavoie, contact1callcenter.com, Jason Chalukas, and Travis Krenzel. And finally, those grandfathered-in Plaid-level supporters, these very generous folks who continue to to pledge, I should say, at the Plaid level. Thank you very much to George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peak, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Matt Nixon, the Tesla owners club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zalesny, Ish, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, 
Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado. Thank you all so much for your continued support, everybody on Patreon, and also everybody listening, certainly, because if nobody listens, I'm just talking to nothing. I mean, technically, I guess that's what I'm doing when I record this. I'm talking to a dog, three of them in this case, but uh, I'm so grateful to have an audience of fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts who do enjoy listening to me talk about Tesla each and every single week. So thank you all so much for that. Happy electric motoring, and I will see you back here on next week's podcast. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.